0: Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. These are the words of Jesus Christ. He's actually reading a passage from Isaiah when he is asked in his hometown to do uh, what many of the uh, spiritual leaders, masters or rabbis would do during synagogue worship and that is to read a portion of scripture. But Jesus finished this up by saying this day is the scripture fulfilled in your hearing. But Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then in Psalms chapter 92 and verse 10, it says, but my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. I want to speak for just a few moments today About the importance and the power of the anointing the anointing lord jesus we thank you today for ministering in this service already by the power and the moving of your spirit thank you for those that have prayed and worked and believed lord jesus for your will and purpose to be accomplished today. Thank you, Lord God, for the talents that have been laid on the altar today, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, for all the blessings that are in our lives day after day after day, many of which we take for granted or overlook, but right now we pause to say thank you, Jesus. And we pray, Lord God, that today in this service, your will and your purpose would be accomplished, and that lives would be impacted, Lord Jesus, and that at the end of this service, the time of response to the word of God, that you would meet with peace Lord God, and you would have an encounter with them, Lord Jesus, and you would confirm the word that is preached by signs in lives today. We thank you for what you're going to do by faith in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody that agrees with me, say amen right now. God bless you, and you may be seated. Praise God. There's been a lot of talk recently about those who... In competitive sports have been found or accused of taking an unfair advantage using chemicals. This uh, debate is often called the steroids or the juicing or the uh, human growth hormone debate and uh, whenever there is extreme competition whether it's in a bicycle race, whether it's in weightlifting, bodybuilding, whether it's in football, baseball, There are, at the highest levels of competition, individuals that will go to whatever length possible or necessary to get that little bit of a competitive edge to be able to defeat or come out on top. Uh, Many of you perhaps saw on the news recently that um, that, uh, Lance Armstrong was stripped of a number of the victories that he had won during the Tour de France in his career because he could not shake loose the dogged accusations of juicing and using an unfair advantage in, uh, uh, in his efforts because in the minds of these individuals, they've got to win. Many of them assume or believe that other people are using this advantage, so they certainly have to use it as well. It's interesting that uh, some of them when confronted and uh, finally it's proven that it was found in their bloodstream and whatnot, they will Uh, say, well, I didn't know what was happening. Somebody just snuck in and stuck a needle into my backside, and I, I didn't know what was happening. And the reality is they knew what was going on. But this effort for a competitive edge drives people not just to juice, but to go to whatever means necessary, buying the latest equipment and uh, uh, following the latest techniques of exercise and diet so that they might get that little bit of a competitive edge. But I want you to go with me in the theater of our minds back to a dusty day in the Middle East. There were two hillsides and on either hillside there was a battle set in array. I see soldiers, not soldiers in army camo like we see today, But soldiers in ancient outfits, uh, colorful strips of leather, leather shoes that are like sandals. I see spears with wooden handles and sharp points. And I see swords in sheaths. And I see various implements of warfare and battle on either side. And perhaps on either side there is a flag indicating which nation or group of people are represented. It's two battles that are set in array. And then I hear the rumbling sound of a voice much deeper and resonant than any voice I'd ever heard before as he begins to shout out, send me a man that he can fight against me. And then I see the unfolding of the drama or the story as a young boy with a reddish face, good looking young man, walks out there just in a shepherd's garment and he doesn't have all the metal plating that the one that he is about to engage in combat with on the other hillside is blessed with. As you step back from it and you look, you notice that one of the guys is taller than any person you've ever seen before. Not only are they tall, but they are enormous, big arms, big shoulders, a big, enormous head, a hundred-pound head, if you would. And they're this massive individual, kind of like Andre the Giant. Anybody from my generation remember who Andre the Giant is? On one side, the latest and the greatest of equipment, a sword that he was familiar with and used all the time, very heavy sword, a spear that was huge and heavy, and there on the other side, coming to meet at the little brook between, is a shepherd boy without the metal covering, without the latest in equipment of warfare, without a sharp sword, without a Spear with a point on it and all he has is a little leather bag with some stones in it and a little sling a Crude implement that he used as a shepherd Sometimes maybe to run off animals that would try to come and steal the lambs and the sheep David had not a single competitive advantage over Goliath when they met there in that valley that day Goliath had the size advantage He was much taller, much stronger, much larger. Goliath had the experience advantage. He had killed many men in battle. He was a champion well-known for his skills in hand-to-hand combat. He had the equipment advantage when you look at his sword and his spear and his coat of mail or coat of armor. Every single advantage, if you would, belong to Goliath that day as David who had shouted to uh, Saul, is there not a cause? I will fight this giant and walked out there that day, no doubt gulping and no doubt maybe with a little shake in his hands as he realized uh, this is not a drama. This is not a play. This is real life. I'm getting ready to engage with a giant, a battle trained giant, a great champion of warfare who has all the greatest and latest equipment and tools and all I have is a sling and some stones. Anybody looking on uh, from the outside would say this is an absolute mismatch. Uh, This is going to be a short battle. This is going to be ugly. I don't even want to watch this because it's going to be so one-sided. But all of us here today are sitting with a little smirk on our face right now because we know what David did not yet know at that day when he was walking out into the valley. We know the end of the story. We know the reality that he put a little stone in the sling as the as the giant Goliath was shouting out his challenge and threatening him that he's going to feed his bones to the birds and he begins to swing the sling in the air and he releases the stone and the stone settles into the forehead of this giant and he falls flat on his face and David comes running, pulls Goliath's own sword out of his sheath and takes off his head raises it up as a great sign of victory and the children of Israel won a great battle and slew many Philistines that day. Praise God. Praise God. I've told this before but I think it's cool. Anybody ever thought why did Goliath fall on his face? If the stone hit him in the forehead he ought to fall on his back. Somebody said I think it's because David wasn't fighting alone, but God was on his side. And when David hit him with the stone, God popped him in the back of the head. (laughs) Amen. But here's the difference. The difference is the edge. The edge that could not be seen. The difference maker. That perhaps the majority, if not all the people watching that day, except for the exception of perhaps David's brothers, did not even know about or had no uh, familiarity with. That was sometime prior to this event. An old prophet had showed up at the household of Jesse in Bethlehem of Judea and said, God has directed me here to anoint a new king of Israel. I've got a horn of apothecary oil after the ancient art of the apothecary. I've got this horn in this skin right here, and I'm going to anoint somebody today to be the next king of Israel. And uh, uh, so uh, Jesse called his sons from the oldest Eliab, the very handsome and the leader of the pack uh, down all the way until all of them had been interviewed and the Spirit of the Lord had not quickened Samuel that one of these would be the next king. And he said, Do you not have any other sons? He said, Yeah, I've got David, but he's he's just the youngest boy, and he's on the backside of the wilderness right now tending the sheep. He's taking care of the lambs. That's why he's not here. He said, Send for him. And everybody stand and wait until he gets here. And when David comes in, smelling a little bit like the outdoors and like the animals that he tended to, perhaps. looking a little bit rough, maybe been a few days since he had a shower, but he's been out there on the backside of the wilderness watching sheep and playing a harp and singing songs of praise to Jehovah out there, talking about his greatness and his power, enjoying a beautiful relationship with his creator, and when he walked into the room, the spirit of the Lord quickened Samuel, he felt the hair on the back of his head stand up, and he knew immediately that this is the one that God has prompted and called me to uncork the horn of oil and pour it down upon him and he called David towards him and he uncorked the horn of anointing oil and poured it over him the anointing was upon this young man named David when he went out to face the giant that day now the the idea or the concept of anointing is something perhaps that's not really familiar to us here in 2012 other than references that we've heard from bible studies or sermons or teachings But let me share with you what this concept of the anointing is. In Exodus chapter 30, God gave specific instructions to the priesthood. He told them how to make this oil. He said, take the principal spices, myrrh and cinnamon and sweet calamus and cassia and olive oil and mix these spices together with the olive oil And make an oil of holy ointment, an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary. It shall be a holy, everybody say holy, holy anointing oil. Verse 26, and thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all his vessels, and the candlestick, and his vessels, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all his vessels, and the laver, and his foot. And thou shalt sanctify them, that they may be most holy. Whatsoever toucheth them shall be holy. And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them. So not only the tools, and not only the furniture that are used for the sacrifice in the tabernacle, but I want you also to anoint and sanctify the men, Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. So when this oil was brought together, then God gave to Moses and to Aaron and his sons, the specific instructions that they would take this oil and uh, they would put it on their hands and they would smear it or pour a little bit and smear it onto all of the uh, uh, implements that were to be used in tabernacle worship, uh, whether it was uh, the the laver of water, the table of showbread, or the Ark of the Covenant, uh, all of the various Implements and uh, even we see that the vestiges that the priests would wear, these are uh, uh, like. Uh Um, uh, Sacred or holy garments and they would be covered with the anointing as well and then at a certain point in the age of the young men that were sons of Aaron they would reach the point where they would take on their father's cloak that he was anointed in and they would receive an anointing upon their life and it would pour over their head and come down their body and collect in the skirts of the garments that they were wearing in a special, specific day when they were anointed and sanctified and set apart for this work. So this holy anointing oil or the oil of anointing had two specific purposes in the Word of God. One of them is people were to anoint themselves to refresh themselves. Maybe they wouldn't use the holy anointing oil, but they would use ointment or anointing to refresh themselves. That's why the Word of God says when you're fasting, don't appear unto men as that you're fasting. Don't go around with your hair messed up and your face just looking like, oh, I'm having a miserable day. But get up and anoint your face so that there's a shine to you, so that you look refreshed and renewed that's the first purpose and the second purpose was so that something could be set apart and sanctified for a divine purpose and a divine goal and if it's an individual then they are sanctified for a specific purpose and a specific mission on the earth so anointing is always connected to sanctification the anointing oil was to purify or set something apart as to say this is going to to be used for a divine purpose it's not going to be used for a common purpose it's going to be used for a sacred purpose and there's another term in scripture that uh, perhaps you've heard before the word is profane profane is in essence the opposite of anointing anointing is to take something that's common and then when you anoint it you are signifying that now this is sacred this is sanctified. This is set apart for divine purpose. Profane is to take something that is sanctified and set apart and to make it common. The Bible it says, You have profaned my holy things by making them common. And what are you talking about? That, that would be like going in and taking one of the tools that's used and's been anointed for, for a worship. Maybe it's a tool that's used on the altar of sacrifice. Maybe, for instance, example, maybe a large fork like, pitchfork like instrument that's used with the sacrifice. And you're having a barbecue at your house. So you say, surely Aaron and the boys won't mind if I slip in and borrow the fork for a while because we've got a big sacrifice or a big uh, a barbecue at the house and we're getting together, getting some family members together. So they took what was sacred and they used it for a common purpose. This is called profaning something, taking what's sacred and making it common. That's what profanity, the word profanity comes from. It's using the Lord's name in vain, taking something that's precious and sacred and using it for a common purpose common or a filthy or an unpure purpose. So when the anointing was applied to a life, it was a signifying that this life is set apart to do something special for God. When it was applied to an item, it was indicated this thing is set aside for a special and a divine purpose. I want to stop talking about uh, anointing implements and I want to talk about individuals in scripture that were anointed. First of all, you have the priest that were anointed to do priestly duties before God. And then secondly, you had kings that were anointed with the holy anointing oil, indicating that God's favor and anointing and strength and divine purpose is being unleashed in this life. Saul was the first man that was anointed king of Israel by Samuel. King Saul, when he was approached by Samuel and Samuel said, all of Israel's hopes are upon you, giving him a kind of a a precursor or pre-warning that I'm about to anoint you. And, And Saul resisted, first of all, the anointing. He said, but I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. How could I be Israel's hope? Benjamin was the youngest son of Israel. And he said, I'm from the lineage of Benjamin, the baby boy. We're the smallest of the tribes. How can someone from the tribe of Benjamin be a candidate for the anointing? But he was anointed. Someone speculated one time the reason that a Benjaminite could be anointed with the holy anointing oil that day and was the first choice for the holy anointing oil that day is when you go back to the story of back when the patriarchs of Israel, the 12 tribes, the men were still alive, that every one of them one day bowed down before a man named Esau or Edom, which is a type of worldliness, and the world all of them bowed down in obeisance to Esau upon the direction of Jacob because Jacob feared for his life. every one of them bowed down. But if you know a little bit about biblical history, this is a little bit uh, uh, deep understanding here right now if you know a little bit about biblical history, Rachel was there that day and the Bible says that when Benjamin was born, Rachel died in giving birth to Benjamin, which is a long story short indication that on that day when every son of Jacob bowed down before Esau, there was one that hadn't been born yet and his name was Benjamin Benjamin never bowed Down to Esau, amen. And so there was something special about the tribe of Benjamin that day when Samuel first of all anointed Saul. I can sanctify and set something apart that has never bowed a knee to this world or to its system. Because I want to tell you, whenever you're set apart and sanctified for God's purpose, you're going to be marching to the beat of a different drummer from that day forward. Your direction and your cues are no longer going to be from the spirit of this world or the attitude of this world, or the mindset of this world. It's going to be different because I've been set apart. Not so I'm better than everybody else. Not so I look down on everybody else. But God has sanctified me for a divine purpose. So when David stepped out onto the battlefield, it wasn't just that he was quick on his feet. And it wasn't just that he had great aim. All of those things may have been true because we find out in the future, Dave was a great warrior and a great uh, 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 strategic mind in battle. But the difference maker, what gave him the edge, he wasn't juicing. He'd been anointed by the power of God. He had been anointed and set apart and distinguished as God. Amen. And the people of Israel knew this. They said, Don't touch God's anointed, don't kill a priest. Don't kill a king that has God's anointing on his life because there's something special about the anointing. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah, in one place it says, children of Israel, you've been been assaulted by the Assyrians. You've been under their thumb for a long time. But eventually, God is going to lift the yoke off of you. You've been controlled by them long enough. He is going to lift the yoke off of you and the yoke will be destroyed. Isaiah 10, 27 or 27, 10, I can't remember. The yoke is going to be destroyed because of the anointing. I don't know if that means anything to you, but what it means to me is the things in my life that control me. Amen. The things in my life that Cause me to go directions that I don't choose to go. That's what a yoke is. Anybody know what a yoke is? It's something they placed on the oxen and they put a rope on one side of it and when they wanted this powerful beast of burden to go this direction, they pulled on the yoke and the oxen had no choice but to go this direction. And I know that sometimes there are things in our life, sins and habits uh, and things that we have been bound by that take us in a direction sometimes that we don't want to go. But the Bible has promised in the Old Testament and it transitions to us as well that the yoke of the enemy anything that controls your life can be destroyed because of the power of the anointing of the Holy Ghost come on somebody that lets me know that the anointing is not just reserved for those who are raised perfectly And the anointing is not just reserved for those who never stumbled, never made a mistake. And the the anointing, come on someone, is not just reserved for those who have been led by the Spirit all the days of their life. But there's some people that are going to get the anointing that have had some yokes in their life, that have been going the wrong direction, that have found themselves bound by the enemy, but they're going to be set free and the yoke is going to be destroyed because of the anointing. Lest you misunderstand, let me make it clear today. When we're talking about the anointing, there's a transition from Old Testament to New Testament. Everybody remember when Brother Costa said, Old Testament physical, New Testament spiritual. Old Testament, it was a physical anointing oil that signified God's favor. But in the New Testament, we don't need to go looking for a big vat of spiced oil because the anointing is the Holy Spirit. When this little child was born in a stable in Bethlehem, he was more than just a man. When he stood up to preach that day, as we read, quoted from Isaiah, said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach. I don't ever read anywhere where a priest walked in and poured anointing oil over Jesus' head. I don't read anywhere where somebody came and smeared his face and his body with anointing oil. It was an anointing of the Holy Spirit. In fact, whenever we say Jesus, we usually follow it up with another word. Christ, right? Christ means the Messiah. More specifically, Messiah and Christ. Now just let me help you understand this. Christ was not Jesus' last name. Amen. Probably if he was introduced back then, he would probably be introduced as uh, Jesus bar Joseph because to most people, he was Joseph's son. And so your last name was a kind of a hybridization of the first name of your father. So his name was not Christ. It's what we refer to him as. Because Christ... In its most literal translation means the anointed one or the anointed flesh. Jesus Christ was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Amen. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit not because of some oil that was poured over his head but because the spirit of the Lord was upon him because of his divine purpose because he had been set aside. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when the whip was coming down on his back and it looked like he was in miserable pain, he was. It looked like it was about the end of the story when blood was trickling from his body from the spikes that went through his hands and his feet. It looked like anybody that was an enemy of Christ was winning that day. But you don't beat the anointing. And the anointing is what brought Jesus up out of the tomb and out of the grave and broke the yoke of every sin that he carried with him. The anointed one. The anointed one. But the good news is, the plan of Jesus Christ is that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Let me break it down to you. The words of Jesus, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 are this, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Cambria in all Samaria. And where else? Unto the uttermost part. That was her Bible verse this week at school. Unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus said... When you get the Holy Ghost, you're going to get that thing. Amen. You're going to get that thing that gives you the power and the edge. It's not going to be your talent. It's not going to be your skill. It's not going to be your influence or your family tree that makes the difference. It is the anointing that is going to come into your life as a result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Anybody got the Holy Ghost? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When a person is baptized with the Holy Spirit, just like in Acts chapter 2, same thing happens. The Bible says when they received the Holy Ghost, the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. This still happens today when a person is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Don't have a witness in the house. But let me dispel further misconceptions that receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about receiving your ticket to heaven. Okay, you got your ticket, take care of it. Don't lose it now, because you got to get into heaven. We understand that the new birth experience is a part of our salvation, but it's not just about your ticket to heaven. It's about something changing you fundamentally. When the anointing begins to come into your life, uh, you smell different. Come on now. There's a distinction about you. Whenever the anointing comes on your life, uh, I'm going to do something for God. My priorities are shifting around right now. The things that used to be so important to me aren't so important to me anymore. You know why? Because I've been set aside. I've been set apart and anointed for a divine and special purpose on this earth to make a difference. I remember my wife and I were there when Cambria sang. You were there when Cambria sang at the school. It was really a neat thing. Several kids had sung. Several young people had done. It was a talent show at one point or or the Christmas concert, two different things. And then my daughter began to sing. And and I began to cry. But that's natural. Because that's my girl. And I was proud. Yeah, that's all right. And, uh, but then I looked around and there were other people crying. And afterwards, several people came up to us. Cambria, you made me cry today while you were singing. Huh. What makes me cry? Anybody ever been in church before and the spirit of the Lord begins to move and people are guests and visitors. And they're like, I don't know why I'm crying. I'm really not sad, but wow, what's going on? I I don't understand this emotion or this feeling you're coming in contact with the anointing of the Holy Ghost because I remember when Cambria was five years old from the time she was even younger than that there was a sensitivity to God whenever the Spirit would begin to move she'd begin to weep whenever the Spirit of God would begin to move she would be moved as well and I remember that day when Brother McKimmy was here and we were having a special service and, and they said, Cambria is really praying. And she was sitting over on this side of the little church on, on Rosemead Boulevard. And I went over and I watched as God baptized her with the Holy Spirit at five years old. She began to speak in another tongue. Yeah. As the Spirit of God gave her the utterance. It's not just a parlor trick. It's not just a little thing. Okay, now you're in. You got the Holy Ghost. It's about an anointing being put upon your life. Jesus said at this word, greater works than these shall ye do in my name. I I think sometimes we forget what it means to be anointed by God. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you were anointed by God. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. You're not just common, amen. You're not just every day. But wherever you are, whether it's at your workplace or your school, there is an anointing on your life. And people may never say anything about it, but they begin to recognize that something is there. I want the power of the Holy Ghost alive in my life because... Here's the problem, if we're not careful, we start depending on ourselves again. We start depending on our skill and our strategy and our efforts to try to win people to try to reach people, to try to make a difference in our world, and we forget the fact that if we will simply be anointed with fresh oil, there will be something all over us, something within us that gives us the words to say, gives us the courage to be a witness. I want to tell you right now, what this church needs is a fresh baptism of the anointing of the Holy Ghost, what your family needs is not what you think it needs, what it needs needs, is the Holy Spirit to pour in and through us without measure. Because it is the anointing that destroys the yoke. It is the anointing that gives us power to lay hands on sick people and they recover. You hear me right now? It's the anointing of the Holy Ghost uh, that when we begin to speak a witness to someone, there is a there is a partner with the witness it's not just our words it's not just our understanding of truth and transferring that to someone but there is a spiritual witness that goes with the word when you are speaking when you are teaching when you are preaching when you get up to sing it's all about the anointing because the anointing has the power to destroy and break the yoke of the enemy He's God. See you either lean to the arm of the flesh or you lean to the arm of the spirit. That means you lean into your abilities and your talent or you lean into the anointing. And I want to tell you God's plan for you. God's plan for you is to recognize that the power to change a life isn't in my ability, but the power to change a life is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Come on now. And when I get up and try to do something for God and I haven't got a relationship with God and I don't smell like him anymore and I haven't been spending any time with him anymore, then it's just human effort at that point. And so I'm crying out to God today in closing. God, I want fresh oil in my life. I don't want to try to do this on my own. Guess what? You are ministers. God's called you to ministry. God may not have called you to be a leader. He may not have called you to be a preacher, pastor. But he's called you to be a minister. Every member is a minister. Come on. Yes, 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 yes. But you can only do what God wants you to do is if the anointing is in your life and upon your life. And there are periods of spiritual dryness that we find ourselves walking through at times. The dangerous things about spiritual dryness is the Bible says that the enemy prowls in dry places. When an evil spirit or unclean spirit is cast out of a man, Jesus said, that unclean spirit walks through dry places seeking rest. And if he can't find any rest there in the dry places, he goes back to his original host. Finds it swept, garnished. Pell is turned back, ready for a reinvitation. Amen. That's why when someone is delivered, they need to be then filled with the spirit. All right. And so, in dry places in our lives that we go through, there are a lot of things that can contribute to spiritually dry places. Sometimes we get so busy and stressed out that we find ourselves spiritually dry. Sometimes we are exposed to a very cool spiritual environment. When I say cool, I don't mean cool, I mean like cold. Our household, our family, perhaps, our workplace. And we find it beginning to affect the temperature of our spirit. Begins to rub off on us. Another thing that can dry us up quicker than anything is rebellion or sin against God. When we're engaging in activities that we know do not please God. Forgetting that we've been set aside for God's purpose. And there's divine anointing on our life. And we're profaning what God has made sacred and defiling the temple. Are you hearing me right now? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's why you glorify God in your bodies. All right? God doesn't dwell in a temple anymore made of stone. He dwells in flesh temples. When we are sinful, and when our conduct is disobedient to God's principles for our lives, and we start slipping and letting it happen here and there, see, it kind of happens together. We get dry, and then we begin to make concessions to the flesh, and we get drier. And we start doing things we know we shouldn't be doing, and we get drier. All right. And then sin creates an attitude in our mindset that we don't even want to pray. Anybody else been there before? And it's like it, you, you'd rather do anything, man. You'd almost rather you'd almost rather get your finger smashed with a hammer than than pray, because there's something in your spirit that says nah. And you find yourself getting drier. And you find yourself in a position where if you had an opportunity to minister you don't have anything to give you're dried up and you can still come to church and be dried up and you can still lift your hands with everybody else and be dried up and you can still shout amen to the preacher and be dried up and you can still come, and you can come down to the altar and kind of go through the motions and be dried up Because it's not about a conduct or emotion, it's about I have got to come in contact again with the fresh oil of the anointing so that the anointing of God's spirit comes upon my life and begins to affect and change the way that I think and my priorities and my passion. I want to tell you right now, I don't have a new book for you to read. I don't have a new thing, new strategy, a new self-help deal. What you need is a fresh touch of the anointing of the Holy Spirit to flow through your life. The remedy for a dry situation is get in contact with Jesus. Come in contact with the Holy Spirit. In closing, I want to share with you. The Bible talks about the gifts of the Spirit and in, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about speaking in an unknown tongue. It's a little bit of instruction for a church that was kind of gone crazy. And that can happen. That's why, people, that's why God puts people with spiritual authority in place to keep things from getting out of order in terms of the operation of the spirit. In Corinthians, it says what was happening is there was confusion in the body. And when people came in as visitors, they were saying, these people are crazy. Or the Bible says they're mad. You know why? Because people would get up, seize the attention of the congregation, and begin to speak to them in an unknown tongue. So while they're speaking in an unknown tongue, they may go on for 10 minutes. They may go on for 15. Oh, it feels so good. I'm just going to keep it flowing. But the Bible says the Apostle Paul gave instructions to them. When you're giving an unknown tongue... In a public setting, seizing the attention of everyone, there should be an interpreter or translation, interpretation of the scripture uh, 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 of the the unknown tongue. Tongues, interpretation of tongues. These twin or married gifts of the Spirit should operate with one another in public setting. Here's why. Because a word of prophecy, which basically is, is a word in the language or the tongue of the people that are gathered, is profitable to the people because they understand. But the Bible says a word in tongue doesn't edify anyone else. So while I could sit up here and speak in an unknown tongue, it doesn't benefit the crowd. It doesn't benefit the people. And so the instruction was this. When tongues are coming forth in a public setting for everyone to hear, to seize everyone's attention. For instance, when you have the mic, it should be followed up with interpretation of tongues so that there's understanding in the house. Because what was happening, obviously, you figure out by the correction what was happening wrong. Is that there was one after the other giving a message in tongues and nobody was being strengthened or encouraged or, as the Bible says, edified or built up. And guests came in and said, these people are crazy and walked out. But here's the flip side of the coin. The Apostle Paul said, when a man speaks in an unknown tongue, he edifieth himself. When a person speaks in an unknown tongue, I'm talking about enjoying God's presence but not doing it for public consumption. You say, does that have to be at home? No, it can be in church. When you got a church like we got, Amen. Where the power of the Spirit falls and this person over here is speaking in an unknown tongue. Having an encounter with God. And this person over there is speaking in an unknown tongue. Having an encounter with God. And this person over here is speaking in an unknown tongue. Having an encounter with God. It can happen in church. It can happen at home. It can happen on your front porch. It can happen in your closet of prayer. It can happen, come on now. Whenever you begin to pray and whenever you begin to call upon the name of the Lord something happens when you begin to break through and you're not praying with understanding with a fruitful understanding but you're praying in the spirit it is a spirit thing there's something that begins to flow into your life that's why the bible says build up on your most holy faith praying in the holy ghost and i want to tell you i want to tell you one of the most healthy things that you can do if you're feeling spiritually dry is to be baptized all over again with the Holy Spirit and let the gift of tongues begin to flow, begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives you the utterance. Even if it already happened in your life five years ago, even if it happened last week, even if yesterday evening before you went to bed you prayed and you begin to feel the Spirit, you need to have the fresh flow of the anointing in your life. so that the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. And you can be anointed to preach hope to those that are hopeless. To heal hearts that are broken. Come on. That's what the Holy Spirit anointing is to help heal people that are hurting. Yeah, you don't have to do that from a pulpit. You can do that in a one on one conversation, and the anointing can begin to flow through your life. I want you to recognize God's put it on you and God's put it in you. And what you need to do is say, Lord, fill me up. Here's my cup your anointing it's what makes the difference in the world today hallelujah i wonder if we could stand to our feet right now could we stand together across this place in this house amen hallelujah 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 thank you jesus there was an old song that, that they used to sing in church a lot when I was growing up and it said simply, more of you. More of you. Lord, I've got all except what I want. And that's more of you. Of things, things and stuff. I've had my fill. i got lots of stuff. But I'm still hungry. I'm still thirsty. There's still something inside of me that's incomplete there's still something missing. And I'm talking right now, first of all, to those that have never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You may have put your faith in Jesus Christ already. You may believe in God and trust in Him, and you may love Him. And all of this is a part of the process of God finishing His purpose in your life. But if you've never experienced before the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues... As God gives the utterance it's not that you're speaking in tongues and because of that you're anointed no, you're anointed and then this is the sign something's transpiring in your spirit the good news is you can have that experience today you don't have to be taught how to do it you don't have to learn how to do it all you have to do is respond when the Holy Spirit begins to move in your life Whenever that begins to move, that made you cry, that's the Holy Spirit right there. Understand what I'm saying. Whatever it is that you felt when God's people were worshiping, when you looked over and saw a child with tears running down their face, hands lifted up, and something went, in your spirit, that's the Holy Spirit right there. That's your spirit crying out to God, saying, I want some of whatever it is that they got. You may not have consciously said it, you may not have even thought it, but something in your spirit is saying, that's what I want. the deer panteth after the water brook so panteth my soul after you O Lord somebody's here today and your soul is dry and thirsty and you're thirsty for something you know not of but I want to tell you what it is it's the touch of the Holy Spirit it's that anointing oil that comes and refreshes and brightens up and puts a shine in your spirit it also sets you apart it also signifies that you're going to do something for God God's going to use you in a powerful way and I also want to talk to those that are dry that have been baptized with the Holy Spirit before but you're dry in your spirit I'm going to pray in just a moment as we all gather together and I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come into this place in a powerful way and just like in 1906 a few miles from here on Azusa Street or the little house on Bonnie Bray Avenue downtown LA just a handful eight or ten african-american believers gathered together crying out to god and asking for the baptism of the spirit and right there just a little handful of people turned into a multi-million in fact billion worldwide movement of people that believe that god will fill them with the holy spirit if they want it if they thirst after it if they cry out to god that god will anoint them amen i wonder if we could just gather to the front right now because i feel the spirit lingering here right now i feel like god wants to do something in this place hallelujah often the pathway to the move of the Spirit is through our emotions. Our emotions move and then the Spirit begins to move. So we're going to pray for God to fill this house with with His anointing, but we're not going to get into a big hurry and, and try to like, get everybody like, ah. What we're going to do is we're just going to begin to think for a second. In a moment we're going to close our eyes and we're going to begin to think. And. Uh, what i want you to think about the bible says we can choose what we think about but what i want you to think about is i want you to think about the goodness of the lord if you if you can't think of anything else that god's been good to you about begin to think about the fact that you have hope of eternal life because jesus christ who could have stopped it at any time he had the power to do it but he suffered the shame and the humiliation and the pain of dying on a cross for your sins If you need to, maybe think about some of the good things that God's done in your life and some of the blessings that you have. Think about God blessed you with a good spouse. God gave you a home. Think about the goodness of Jesus. The Bible says it this way. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Into His courts with praise. What this was referring to was getting into the holy place where the Shekinah presence of God lingered over the mercy seat said you enter into his gates with thanksgiving into his courts with praise because when you start out you're on the outside and, and right now you're just kind of thinking in the flesh thinking just like carnal thoughts some of you are thinking about what you're going to have for dinner that's fine because you're outside the court right now but you need refreshing you don't need to leave here today just to go fill your belly but you need a refreshing I'm telling you you need refreshing from the Holy Spirit you can't afford to walk out of here and be dry you can't afford to walk out of here and be empty spiritually Say, okay preacher what do I do? enter into his gates with thanksgiving into his courts with praise what do you have to be thankful for? when you begin to think about the things that you have to be thankful for instead of what we normally do we normally think about the things that we wish we had that we don't have it's an inverted way that's that's one way to keep you out of the presence of the lord is to not be thankful but when you begin to think about what god has done for you <laughs> think, think about what god's blessed you with the last couple of weeks of begin think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for you, something begins to shift in your spirit, maybe tears begin to flow and you find yourself having to wipe tears away because you're thinking about the goodness of Jesus see you're moving in closer to where the spirit of God is, you're moving in closer to where the anointing is you're moving in closer to where you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit somebody said, how can I receive it? here's the best way, begin to honestly just forget about the Holy Ghost for a minute right now and just begin to thank God for what he has done for you, and give him praise for being so good to you and blessing you with so many blessings and while you praise him, if you want to, you can lift up your hands. That's a sign of praise. Bible says lift up holy hands in the sanctuary. It's a sign of surrender to the Lord. It's a sign of God. I give it to you. While you're praising him, just begin to worship him and let the emotions go. Don't stop it and don't try to control it because if you control it, then perhaps you're blocking your way of getting into the holy place. Just let your emotions of love for Jesus and praise go. And in a few moments, some of you that are spirit-filled are going to begin to feel the Holy Ghost. I just want you to follow after it and let the anointing flow through your life. Hallelujah. Jesus, we praise you. Begin to use your voice right now. You might even want to lift up your voice and speak a word of love to Jesus. It's just you and him right now. It's not about the people around you. It's not about the preacher at the front, but it's about you and Jesus right now. Use your voice right now to let the Lord know how much it is that you love him And how thankful you are that He forgave you. Come on, that ought to make somebody cry right now. That ought to move somebody. God, you forgave me of that. You set me free from the bondage, Lord God. You released me from the guilt. And Lord God, I got to give you thanks today. Hallelujah. Come on, there's an anointing flowing right now in this place.
1: Anointing.
0: Jesus, I'm ready now. I want to be full of your spirit. Come on, if you're hungry, you can get it right now. I'm- Here it comes now. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands. Here comes a fresh anointing. Hallelujah. In the name of the Lord. Holy Spirit, fall. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Hallelujah. Come on. I feel encouragement coming in the house right now. I feel the fresh anointing oil flowing. Somebody's face is going to be brightened. There's refreshing in the house. somebody and pray with them right now around you. We're going to pray with one another in this place. God, I pray for a breakthrough. I pray for a fresh baptism. Wife, pray for your husband. Husband, pray for your wife right now. Friend, pray for your friend. Ooh, I feel it. Let it fall.
1: Anoint
0: the Saka
1: on me. I need you. Lift
0: up your hands again.
1: Lift up your hands. Let
0: it fall, Lord Jesus. Let it fall. I feel it moving right now. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. If you need the Holy Ghost, just lift up your hands. Begin to praise God, and the gift will flow into your life right now. continue praying. In a few moments we're going to baptize Daniel in Jesus' name. I want you to pray right now for this family and for what God's doing in his life. A miracle, a miracle, a miracle of God is taking place. God has changed his heart and his desire is to serve God and please God.
1: She kind of
0: going to baptize Daniel in Jesus' name. I want to invite you to continue praying. If you're a guest with us, we want to make sure you stop by our pastor reception. I'd love for to have a chance to meet you. We're going to rejoice together with this family and this young man who God is doing a work in his life even today. Thank the Lord. Praise God.